This weekend, we uh, launch into uh, the last of our series called Navigating Life, and we want to talk about friendship together. So I started kind of going down memory lane uh, this week, and I was thinking about probably my three closest friends uh, in, my, in my childhood days, uh, Doug Stoner, Corey Galesco, and Matt Ferguson. Now, Doug Stoner and Corey, they lived in the same uh, allotment as ours, the same neighborhood, and just a couple streets over. And so we became close from a pretty young age. Uh, Doug's mom was our Cub Scout den leader. And uh, that's how I first met Doug. And, and then I became friends with him, well, to be honest, well, because Doug had a pool. And in the summer, uh, not very many people had pools, and uh, so I wanted to be Doug's friend. I, it was a little bit selfishly motivated, and sad to say that, you know, in a lot of ways, that's the way many friendships are today, that they become one-sided, or just, what can I get from me? But uh, I was friends with Doug, and then, and then Corey, and Corey and Doug and I, the three of us, we were inseparable, and we hung out all the time. Corey had kind of a rough life, and I was really, I would say that Corey... Galesco, he probably was my tr first true best friend. Uh, I, so many times, Corey and Doug and I, we'd be hanging out. Uh, we'd, we'd ride our bikes up to the ice cream shop, and this particular ice cream shop in town also had a mini golf, and it had an arcade. So we spent a lot of quarters uh, playing video games up at the arcade together. And, and so we'd get ice cream, we'd hit the arcade for a while, and then we'd stop at JP's Liquor Store. I don't know what my parents were thinking, allowing, but literally, I mean, this was, this was at least multiple, you know, three to four times a week, and we'd stop at JP's Liquor Store on the way home because they had an incredible display of candy. I mean, they had every kind of candy you could possibly imagine. And so we'd spend the rest of our money on candy after having ice cream, and then we'd head to one of our homes to have a sleepover, except we didn't sleep very much. In fact, I can remember sometimes we'd get bags of Skittles, and we were like, um, like uh, pharmacists sorting through the Skittles. We'd divide them up all by their flavors, and then we would trade because each of us had kind of like our favorite flavors of Skittles. And we'd be up all night long. I can still remember one time, uh, Corey was spending the night at my house, and we snuck out, we snuck out in the middle of the night to go TPing. <laughs> Lord, <laughs> forgive the sins of my youth. We got to Doug's house, and we're tapping on Doug's window trying to wake him up. He, he, he wasn't waking up. Next thing we know, in the window next to him, his little brother, Timmy Stoner, he comes to the window. He's like, what are you guys doing? <laughs> next thing we know, Mr. Stoner is in the window. And my friend Corey, he took off running. I froze in fear. And we got caught. We got pulled into the stoner's house. Mrs. Stoner made, it, made us both, Corey and I both, call our parents. Corey was grounded for like a decade, it seemed like. I was grounded for at least a few days, but memories, right? And then Matt Ferguson. Matt Ferguson, uh, we really formed a close friendship our freshman year of high school. We suffered through the freshman hazing at band camp together. I mean, that's a thing that it will bond you for life because you got nobody else. And, and we became friends. And then, honestly, our friendship really uh, deepened when, we, when I started going to church with him, to his church youth group. And, and now, all of a sudden, our friendship had this new spiritual component, and it, it really changed my life. 
friends. It seems like friendships back then were a lot easier. You know, like, I mean, we had so much time on our hands, right? I mean, our only responsibility was school. And then in the summer when school was out, there was no responsibility. It was just nothing but hanging out, playing, sleeping over, going to the arcade, day in and day out. But friendships are harder than that as adults. We don't have that kind of time. We don't have that that kind of luxury, right? We've got jobs, maybe two jobs trying to make ends meet. We're we're keeping up with the house. We're cleaning. we've, We've got meetings to go to. We've got kids to raise. We've got extracurricular activities to go to. We've got sporting events. We've got band. We... We've got church. The, the, the list goes on and on and on. And who's got time to develop real friendships anymore? And yet we need them. We, we are desperate for friendships. I've learned so much uh, about friendship just even in thinking about this, this, this message. And we need more than just Facebook friends. <laughs> Uh, Cornell University put out an article recently. It said people think that they have this huge support and friendship network, but in reality, social media has not strengthened any of their connections. It's just an illusion. Somebody online is going to help you when your world falls apart. Somebody online can't, can't be there you know, when you take a, a huge fall in life. We, we desperately need friendships. Uh, the Mayo Clinic put out uh, an article with some, with some study results. They said the benefits of friendship, they increase your sense of belonging and purpose. Friendships, real friendships, boost your happiness and reduce your stress. Real friendships improve your self-confidence and your self-worth. Real friendships help you cope with traumas. Real friendships encourage you to change or avoid unhealthy lifestyle habits. We desperately need friendship. The the philosopher Aristotle, he said, in poverty and other misfortunes in life, true friends are a sure refuge. They keep the young out of mischief, they comfort and aid the old in their weakness, and they incite those in the prime of life to noble deeds. Friendship matters. I don't think friendship matters primarily because the Mayo Clinic says so, or because Aristotle philosophized so. Friendships and relationships matter because God, the creator of all, made us for relationships. Early on in the book of Genesis, the first two human beings, actually the first human being, Adam and God, for the first time says something is not good. And what was not good? That man was all alone. We were created for relationships. And in this series, we've been leaning into some wisdom literature in the Bible, the books of Psalms and Proverbs and the book of Job. And today we want to look at the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes, uh, most believe that it was written by Solomon, known as the wisest man that ever lived, but there's debate on the authorship. It could have been written by Solomon. It might have been written more about Solomon. Either way, the, the, the name Ecclesiastes means the assembled ones. And, and the book of Ecclesiastes is an assembling of wisdom and truth that a teacher was sharing with a group of people that were assembled, just like we're assembled today, and we too are going to lean into the wisdom of the book of Ecclesiastes. And that takes us to Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 
perhaps a well-known passage, perhaps a passage that you've heard uh, read at a wedding recently. But this is what uh, the writer says. He says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. Now, this is somewhat of a depressing book. In fact, 38 times in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see this phrase meaningless, or if you're an old King James person, the word vanity. It it, it has the idea of something being pointless, purposeless, empty, a, a, a chasing after the wind, something that you can never grab a hold of, something that you can never really attain. And the writer of Ecclesiastes says he makes another observation about life and an observation where he says, it just seems pointless. It seems purposeless. It seems so empty. And verse 8, he says, this is the case of a man who is all alone. He said, that's a pointless life. That's a meaningless life. That's a purposeless life. Why? Because we were created for relationships. We were made for friendship. He says, this is the case of the man who is all alone. Now, it wasn't that he didn't have anything. In fact, as we're going to see, he had, he had much. Read on with me. Verse 8 says, this is the case of the man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It's all so meaningless and depressing. Essentially, what the writer is saying, he makes this observation of this man that seems to have it all, and yet he has no one to share with at all. That's a meaningless, empty life. He's pointing to the value of relationships. He's he's trying to help us understand why friendship really matters. And in the following three verses, the writer of Ecclesiastes is going to give us four reasons why friendship matters. And if you want to follow along with your notes or on your smartphone from our app, you can fill in blanks if that's you. Uh, But we're going to track along with the writer of Ecclesiastes' deep wisdom here about navigating life, that we were not meant to navigate life alone. First reason, he makes this conclusion. He says, so two people are better off than one. Remember, he says, the sad life is the life that's lived all alone. So now his conclusion is, two people are better off than one. And now he's going to give us four reasons why two are better than one, why friendship matters. The first is success. Verse 9, he says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. The King James Version says, for, for when two work together, they'll have a greater return on their labor. He's talking about being successful, being more productive in life, getting more stuff done. And that's what happens when we work together, when we stop trying to just go it alone, do it all on our own. I was reading this, this past week about um, draft horses uh, you know, the, the big Clydesdale, mammoth horses. They can weigh up to 2,000 pounds. But here's what's astounding about one draft horse. One draft horse can pull 8,000 pounds. I mean, that's like three times, four times its weight that it, that it can haul. 
And so you would think, well, what if you, you know, if two are better than one, like, like the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, um, if you put two draft horses together, I'm no mathematician, but I'd think, okay, that means now not only can you pull 8,000 pounds, but you could pull 16,000 pounds, right? But that's actually not the case. Two draft horses pulling together can actually pull 24,000 pounds, three times. Two horses can pull three times what one horse can pull. Why? Because we're better together. It's exactly what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. He's saying when two are together, they'll be more successful. They can get more work done. Now, here's what's even more astounding. If you take two horses, uh, two draft horses, and you actually spend time training them, training them together, truly helping them learn one another's strengths and weaknesses where they can start to really truly feed off one another like a real friendship, like a, like a really strong marriage. Not only can they pull 24,000 pounds, 32,000 pounds. This is what Ecclesiastes, this is what, this is what the writer is saying. He's saying two are better than one. Friendship matters because we can be so much more successful. We can get so much more accomplished. That's why here at the chapel, we do everything in teams. Several years ago, when our lead and founding pastor, Bill Schroeder, was to retire, they said, well, who's going who's gonna to take the reins? Who's going to continue to lead the chapel? And they said, uh, well, nobody can match up to Bill, so maybe we can get these two young guys. <laughs> And they, they appointed Eric Lapata and myself as lead pastors together. Why? Because two are better than one. Be, be, because you can put two heads together, because you, everybody has different strengths and weaknesses. And rather than just having one person with all the responsibility on their shoulders, they said, what if we put two people together together? Two people that have been friends for a long time that love each other and care for each other. Two people that know each other's strengths and weaknesses. And, and where, where I'm weak, Eric has some strengths that I definitely don't have. And I think hopefully where some of the areas where he's weak, I have some strengths that I can bring to the table. And then we have this awesome team. All of our campus pastors and Mark, our executive pastor, and we work together. We're no draft horse, but man, we're getting some stuff done together in God's strength. And there's something powerful that happens when we live together in real friendship. Man, when you have somebody to work with, doesn't it just go better? Like even the work itself is more enjoyable. I grew up in high school. I worked at McDonald's and everybody's like, "Why? oh my gosh, why would you work fast food? But I had great friends that I was working with and it made all the difference. It makes it more enjoyable for the for the person doing the work when they've got somebody to work with, and you get more done. So that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. Saying it's sad to see somebody living life all alone, even if they've got it all, and they've got nobody to share it with, nobody to, no one to work with. They could be doing so much more. They could be accomplishing so much. But there's a second reason. The second reason why friendship matters, and that's for support. In, in verse 10, he says, listen, if one, if one person falls, the other can reach out and help him. But someone who falls alone, he says, is in real trouble. I think the old King James says, but pity the man who has no one there to pick him up when he falls. He's talking about support. 
He's talking about what real friendship can mean for us. And life, life is a journey. And the motif here that the writer of Ecclesiastes is picturing is, is two, two people traveling together. And perhaps in uncharted territory or in, in a rocky road and somebody literally taking a physical fall. And what if they twist their ankle? What if they cut themselves? What, what if they get wounded? If they're traveling alone, they're alone. <laughs> they're stuck. They've got nobody. But two are better than one. If they've got one friend, that friend can help them up. That friend can be looking ahead on the trail to say, hey, watch out there. I remember uh, in college, I became really good friends with Matt Gaffner. And Matt and I started mountain biking together all the time. We'd hit the trails. And it was so much fun mountain biking with Matt because we weren't competitive. In fact, he was such an encourager. And we'd be blazing down these single track trails and all along yelling out things like, rock, <laughs> tree. Why? Because we were looking out for each other. We were watching, when, when, when I'd go over the handlebars going down a steep hill, Matt would be right there to be like, you all right, man? Come on, let's go. Let's get going. Real friends support one another. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. We need people that, to, to work with because we'll be much more successful, but we need people that will be for, there for us when we fall down, whatever kind of fall might not be a physical fall, although I was talking to a lady at our, um, at our Sandusky campus last evening, and she sent me a text message later in the evening. She said, hey, do you know who it was that was pulling weeds out in front of the church before church service last night? I said, I don't know why. She said, well, I walked by, and she recently took a fall, literally took a fall, broke her, broke her wrist, and has not been able to keep up with her lawn. And when she was walking by this guy that was evidently pulling weeds at our Sandusky campus, um, she jokingly said, hey, you want to do mine next? And he said, well, I might be able to. Where do you live? She gave him his address. She said, well, if you would ever want to see, you know, let me know, and then we can figure out how much I would charge you. She got home from church last night, and her yard was completely cleaned up, edged, mowed, weeded, That's, for, that's coming alongside of somebody that's hurting. That's coming alongside of somebody that's gotten knocked down. That's what real friends do for one another. They support each other when they've been knocked down. And it might not, again, it might not be a physical fall. It might be a, an emotional fall. It might be a mental fall. It might be a, a moral fall or a spiritual fall. I love what Proverbs 17, 17 says. It says, a friend is always loyal and a brother is born to help in time of need, whatever that need might be. Do you have friends like that? Are you a friend like that? Because let me tell you, somebody needs you to be there for them, to support them, no matter what they might be facing. In the book of Galatians, Paul writes to the church and he's giving instruction to the believers there to, on how to support each other and help each other and watch out for each other. And in, in, in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 6, here's what it says. It says, Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some, some sin, if they've, if they've taken a spiritual fall, a, a moral fall, he says, you who are godly should gently and humbly Help that person back onto the right path 
Because real friends support each other and support each other spiritually. They're there, they're there to help challenge us and, and push us on and help us back up when we've blown it in some way. And he says, be careful. Be careful as you're reaching down to pull that friend up that you don't fall into the same temptation as them. And then in verse 2, he says, share each other's burdens. Because in this way, he says, you obey the law of Christ. This is what Jesus wants us to do. If there's a rule that Jesus has said, he said, love each other, care for each other, support one another, be there for each other. Every single one of us in the room, we need friends like that. And we need to be those kind of friends. So the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying, there are some incredible benefits to friendship. Friendship matters. It matters because we'll be much more successful when we're working together. We'll be much more supported so that when we take a fall, there will be somebody there. We won't be all alone in this life. We won't be all alone trying to navigate this journey. But he gives us another reason why friendship matters, and I'll call it comfort. Look at the verse with me. Verse 11, it says, likewise, Two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? Now, so all the guys in the room are getting a little, you know, wait, wait, what are we talking about? What's going on here, right? Now, this was very common in that day. Remember, he's, this is a traveling motif, two people traveling down the road, may, maybe going on a long journey. And in that day, though it was very warm in that climate in the daytime, at nighttime it could get very, very cold, these, this was before the days of goose-down comforters and electric blankets, all right? There was no Motel 6 leaving the light on for you to stop by on your journey. You slept outside in the open. And friends, had friends that were close enough, whether it was two girls, two guys, a, a husband and wife, they had to huddle up together at night to stay warm, to survive, that makes us uncomfortable in some ways, except not some of you ladies. You're like, oh, you know, your friends are hanging out in your beds and you're reading books and watching shows and whatnot. But us guys, you know, that's a little un more uncomfortable for us. But it's because we haven't developed the kind of closeness and friendship. I think what this is really getting at is, is a real warmth in our friendships, a real intimacy, if you will. By the way, the, my favorite person to stay warm with, that's Lisa. It's easy using this verse, you know, talking to married couples because it's like, yeah, keep each other warm. But we don't as quickly think about it when it comes to friendship. But do, do you have friendships that you're so comfortable with, that you can completely be yourself, that you can be completely vulnerable with, that you could tell them anything, that they'd love you still? That being with them, it, it warms your spirit. I can tell pretty quickly the difference between a, a cold marriage and a warm marriage. And what about our friendships? Are we investing to the point that, that we're really, really close? I think about my friend Corey in high school. He was the first friend that I ever cared more about him, another person, than myself. Most... Most times, especially growing up, you know, our, our friendships, are, we're so self-serving. It's about what, what I can get. It's, it's, you know, Doug has a pool. But Corey was the first friend that I really cared about. Lisa was the first girl that I ever cared about more than I cared about myself. 
because there's a warmth, there's, an, there's a closeness, there's an intimacy, there's a care. Do we have that in our friendships? During um, high school, our oldest daughter, Lainey, she was popular. I mean, she was a cheerleader. Um, she was a young Christian girl. But because of, well, having some basic morals, she got left out of, of a lot of friendships and parties and hangouts. And honestly, high school was hard for Lainey. <laughs> and she didn't have one close friend. And it broke my heart. It broke Lisa in my heart to see her going through you know, high school, I mean, those are tough times. That's a hard season to navigate as a teenager without any real friend. And when she got ready to go off to college last, last fall, we prayed one prayer. I, I mean, honestly, I wanted her to do good in her classes. I wanted her to keep her scholarships, all that, scholarships up, all that. My, my, my greatest desire, our greatest prayer for her was that she would just meet one friend. This is a picture of Lainey with her friend on the right is Mackenzie. That's her roommate. Uh, Lainey was relaying a story the other night to us. She, Lainey does not show emotion. She does, she's not like me. I mean, I cry. I, you know, I'm a blubbering idiot up here sometimes talking. But Lainey, she does not show emotion in that way. She's very reserved, very protective of her heart and her emotions and her feelings. One night she's in their college dorm room and she's watching um, uh, I Can Only Imagine, the movie. She was in, on the other side of the, of, the, of the room, in her bed, like sheets over, it was night. And she's watching this movie and it got to her. And she started crying. And her roommate came over. And again, Lainey does not show emotion. But Lainey sat up and, and Mackenzie said, what's wrong? And she's like... This movie, and she started bawling. And she, Lainey said, "Dad, I wasn't just crying; I was ugly crying." Okay, you ladies know what that's like, right? She's like, "I was ugly crying," and as soon as she said that, my heart rejoiced that she cried so hard. You know why? Because she had somebody that she could cry with, that she could that she could be transparent with, that she could be vulnerable with. That's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying here. Do you have somebody that you can stay warm with, that warms your soul, that you can be so close to? Guys, this is super hard for us as men. So many men are journeying life without that kind of friendship, and I'm telling you, you are missing out, and you are not the man that you could be without that kind of friendship. So the writer of Ecclesiastes, he's trying to help us see how much real friendship matters, and he closes with one last mark of why friendship matters, and that's safety. Verse 12, he says, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. He's talking about protection. I think this verse is where we get the phrase, I've got your back. If, if, you're, if you're in a fight, if you're in a warfare situation, listen, you can always keep your eye out in front of you and maybe to your sides, but you cannot watch your back. We don't, none of us have eyes in the back of our heads, except for our moms. They did. They had eyes in the back of their heads. We need somebody to be watching our back. I heard this phrase in another way recently. In May, um, after we opened this beautiful new campus, 
um, Carl Davis, who goes to the PC campus, he actually organized a, a chapel rider's motorcycle ride. And I have a motorcycle. It's one thing that it makes me feel more manly, okay? And so there we are, and we're getting ready to take a ride, and we're going to journey to all three campuses and have this fun day. But man, the weather was looking rough. I mean, the wind was kicking up. There's this there's this ominous clouds coming from the Port Clinton area, and yet the diehards in us, the man in us, and because I was a you know, uh, felt a peer pressure. I'm like, all right, we're going, you know, we're going. And so we, we set out to ride as a group to the Port Clinton campus. And as we approached the bridge, we saw the rain and the wind, and it was scary. And the, the couple days after the ride, one of, one of the guys, Scott Bailey from our Norwalk campus, he, he, he posted this to me in, in, in Facebook. And I just want to read it because it's just funny. It says, Nielsen was a sight. That's my last name, by the way. It says, Nielsen was a sight. He was all dressed in his skinny leathers. Now, I was not wearing black leather skinny jeans, okay? He said he had that goofy smile on his face. He was tickled to death that 20 of us came out to ride with him. He prayed for us. Then we headed out. There was a beamer in the front, and Todd was second. I took the back to keep an eye on everything. And when we crossed 250 and stayed on Bogart, I thought, cool, somebody's thinking. A couple bikes peeled off. They were probably watching the radar like I was. I hate riding in the rain, and we were headed right for it. We grabbed 269 in Castalia, ran north to the highway, and another bike peeled off uh, to grab the Florida road back to Margaritaville and missed the rain. We filed down the on-ramp. When we rounded the curve just before the Bay Bridge, I could see it, streaks in the sky, and the bridge was only about half visible. Did I mention I hate riding in the rain, he says? But as the two lead bikes ascended the bridge, it was gone. The streaks, the rain, just gone. He writes, we see only the surface and we judge by that, but God sees the heart. And he, he says this about me. I don't know if this is a compliment. That, this scrawny little humble servant of the Most High God asked for a blessing and he was heard. I saw the rain leave and we rode the rest of the way to PC campus in the dry. Love you, Todd. And then he said this. And I got your six to the gates. Scott, Scott was a police officer. Those of you that have been in, served in the military, you know that phrase, I've got your six. It means I've got your back, your six o'clock where you can't see. And on the journey of life, we better have some friends that are watching our backs, that they're there to protect us, that they're there to fight for us because they care so much. Why does friendship matter? Because we can be so much more successful when we're working together. Because we can know that we've got the right support, that even if we take a fall, somebody's going to be there to pick us back up. And that there can be a comfort in our friendships, people that we can truly be ourselves with, people that we can be vulnerable, that we can whisper our worst sins to, and they love us still, and people that will protect us, people that will keep us safe, keep people that will watch our backs. So I want to leave you with, with a couple questions. One, do you have a friend in your life that is making you better? Are you helping anyone else truly succeed? Number two, do you have a friend who knows when you're down, who will notice when you're in trouble and who will pick you up 
when you fall. Thirdly, do you know what it's like to find true comfort in a friendship where you can be completely vulnerable? And if not, let me ask you to think about this. Who's a friend? Maybe it's a surface friend. Maybe it's an acquaintance. Maybe it's a pretty close friend, but you've never gotten to that level. How can, how can you go deeper in that friendship? And thirdly, it'd be easy for us to walk away going, man, I wish I had those kind of friends. I, I, I could use somebody like that. I, could, I really could use some of that in my life. But let me ask this question. Are you being the kind of friend that you want to have? The writer of Ecclesiastes, he finishes this verse, and he's, he's been explaining the whole time why two are better than one. But then in, in the end, he says, but three are even better. For a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. And that may mean, you know, two friends are good, three friends are even better, but many believe it's a reference to Jesus himself, that Jesus is that third cord. And when, when, when we weave our lives, either as husbands and wives, as spouses, or whether that's in our godly friendships, when we let God weave our lives together with him at the center, that's real friendship. And that is unbreakable. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the friends that you have given us. And God, I pray that every single one of us here, that we would take a friendship one step deeper, even this week. And God, help us to be the friend that we long to have to others. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.